Friends, God's good word for us this morning comes from John chapter 8. We're going through the Gospel of John, and our next section there is John chapter 8. Well, actually, it would start with John chapter 7, verse 53, as we ended last week at 752. But if you look at 753, especially if you were to look at it in this Bible that you have there, the white and blue one in front of you, uh, it's page 868. If you look at that page, you're going to notice right away a little note. It says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53 to 8.11. If you've got one of these Bibles there in front of you, maybe you want to pull that out and read that note just so you can see what I'm referring to. And then if you keep on reading through this section, you'll notice that all of the, the text in this section is in italic font. It's written there in italic font, which is a little bit odd. If you read the rest of the Bible, you will notice pretty quickly that your Bible does not use italic font, even for quotations and other things. So it's a little odd that this section is written in italics. They have this line, the earliest manuscripts do not have this section. That's a good line. They're simply telling you the facts. We have complete manuscripts of the Bible from the mid to early 300s. So we've, we, we've saved, we've managed to restore and save entire copies of the Bible from about the 300s. They're 1,700 years old. We can recreate most of the Bible from various pieces of other manuscripts from the 200s. Okay. So we don't, nobody, there's no books at all in existence from like the 200s and earlier. They just, they haven't survived. That's too long. 2,000 years, nothing makes it that long, right? But we've got pieces and we can recreate most of the Bible from the 200s. None of those texts refer to these words from John chapter 7, 53 through 8, 11. You won't find it. So they're putting the question to you. They're just telling you the fact the earliest manuscripts don't contain this section. Is it in the Bible or not? It, it was added in the 400s. In the 400s, we start to find manuscripts, copies of the Bible, that have this section. That's when someone put it in. At least it seems. That's, that's what the evidence seems to tell us. Uh, on top of that, we have many references from early Christians, people like you and me, talking about the Bible. We rely on those a lot to know what the Bible said. Nobody refers to this section in the first couple hundred years of biblical, of Christian history. They just didn't talk about it. All of that makes us ask the question, is this piece in the Bible? Essentially, they're asking you, right, Did the translators or the copiers, copyists in the 400s do the right thing and and put a piece back in that somehow had gotten forgotten and left out for a couple hundred years? Or have we more accurately and faithfully traced back the history of the text to what it was when it was first written? That's a hard question, isn't it? I I would guess most of you say, I don't know how to answer that. 
But we're just giving you the facts. It's your choice to make. These were not part of the Bible, as far as we can tell, for the first three, four hundred years. Then it was included in the Bible for, what, 1,500 years, give or take? And, and now historical evidence seems to point out that, well, maybe it wasn't in the Bible for all of that time. You know, I, I try to be humble. There's, there's two sections like this in the Bible. There's this section and then the ending of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to following. If you, if you jump ahead to, or jump back to that, you'd notice the same thing. It's, it's in italic font, and there's a note that says the earliest manuscripts don't include this piece. And, and I try to be really humble, you know, when I read that. Because I think, who am I to have a better perspective than the people who lived in the 400s? You know, they probably knew things that I don't know. They lived 1,600 years ago. They lived much closer to the time of Jesus than I did. So I try to be humble. But then I also think, well, what does the evidence say? Right? I mean, that's, that's my job is to just follow the evidence. What does the evidence say? That's what you should do as well. But, you know, we ask that question, don't we? Should this be in the Bible? People ask that question and and that's why they say, you know, I can't trust the Bible. I just can't, I can't believe the Bible. It, it was written by men. It's full of mistakes. Has anybody ever said that to you? I'm sure somebody has said something like that to you at some point. This might be part of what they're talking about. We're, we're not sure if this part should be in the Bible. It's true too, isn't it? The Bible was written by men. That's a good thing, isn't it? It is a good thing. The Bible tells us that God inspired men, that they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is a very unique religious book. It's not like the, the Book of Mormon. You know, Joseph Smith says he received those tablets directly. God used people. He spoke through people. So it's true that it was written by men. There do seem to be mistakes. And then on top of that, if somebody says to you, I can't believe the Bible, you should say, you're right, you can't. Nobody can believe in God by themselves. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and unless the Holy Spirit does the work, nobody will ever believe. See, it's true, isn't it? If somebody says to you, I can't believe the Bible, it's written by men. But it's not true enough, is it? It's not totally true. It's not the complete truth. And that's what you and I need to hear today. That's what you and I need to get today. The whole truth. Something that is true enough. And that's what Jesus wants to make sure we have in John chapter 8, verses 12 and following. I don't know if Jesus made sure that this little piece, 753 to 811, got stuck in there so that it could be followed up with him telling us, that he speaks true words. But there is a certain irony to the fact that right after these, this section where we have to wonder, is this supposed to be in the Bible? Jesus says this great claim, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. If you made that kind of a claim in the ancient world, especially as a Jewish person, you had to defend it. You have to be able to back it up. 
And you had to back it up by pointing out that your testimony is valid. Jesus says, my testimony is valid. How do you prove that your testimony is valid? How do you prove that your testimony is true? Well, a couple of things. First, you can't testify for yourself. That's a big deal. If most of you are standing trial, right, you're going to want to speak up for yourself and defend yourself. Now, your lawyer might tell you, don't, but you're still going to want to defend yourself. In the ancient world, it was very common that if you were a wealthy aristocrat or some important person, you could speak and your words were just assumed to be true. But not for the Jews. The Jewish people, they did not get to defend themselves on trial. They had to have two people testify for themselves. And the last part about the Jewish testimony that was weak, not only could you not testify for yourself, and you had to have two people. It didn't matter if you had two or 200. So let's say that I am accused of, I don't know, stealing a banana. All right, so I've been accused of stealing a banana. And over here, there are two people who say, I didn't steal the banana. And all of the rest of you say, he stole the banana. In the Jewish system, it doesn't matter. Because there's two, you all get thrown out. There is no extra evidence given to all 75 of you. So when Jesus comes along in this section and he says, my testimony is valid, and then he says, here's why my testimony is valid. He says, my testimony is valid because I speak for myself, but I know where I'm coming from and where I'm going, and because my father speaks for me. He presents himself as somebody who tells the truth. So you have to, have to realize what's happening here. Historically, to people who were very skeptical, Jesus has proven himself to be somebody who is reliable. Now, maybe, maybe you say he's breaking the first rule. He's still defending himself. He's still speaking on his own behalf. But he says, I know where I'm coming from, and I know where I'm going. I know my origin, and I know my destination. He, of course, means, I know that I came from the Father, and I'm going to return to the Father. But we understand that means his testimony can be true. Let me give you an example. This last week, I met with our congressional representative. I happened to be at an event that he was at, and I met him. While we were there, he sits on the finance committee for the U.S. House of Representatives. While we were there, we started talking about the little banking disaster that's going on, particularly the banking problem out in, the, uh, out in San Francisco. People had questions and comments about a bailout. You know, they said, oh, who's going to be paying the money for, for this bailout? This is all going to fall on the taxpayers and again. And I said, well, now let's be fair because technically a bridge bank is not paid for by the taxpayers or by the FDIC or anybody else. We don't know what's going to happen in the end, but at this point, the bridge bank that has been set up is not funded or paying for any bailouts. And the, here's the thing, then the congressional representative stood up and he said, yeah, actually, that's right. 
Now, we don't know how it's going to turn out in the end, so we might see something different. But for right now, there's no taxpayer money going to pay for any of this. When then the whole event was over and a local businessman walked out of the room, he said, you know, I learned something today. It was nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. I I learned something about finances and money today. Now, I know almost nothing about money. I know enough about personal finances to keep a budget and pay my bills. That's about it. (laughs) But still, he managed to learn something about, about money a little bit. Now, imagine that if instead of me being there as somebody who knows almost nothing about money, that the person giving the testimony about the banking fallout was a Goldman Sachs representative, or someone from Lehman, or, someone, or Secretary Yellen, somebody who knew where they were coming from and where they were going. Do we know, would we think that that testimony is true? Absolutely. And it was all backed up. It was all supported by the representative who sat on the finance committee, who made the law and was sitting right there. This is why Jesus has, can say, my testimony is true. Not because he's making up some farcical world that will make everybody happy, but because he actually knows where he has started in life, and he knows where that path is going to lead. And he has the Father who has set up all of the rules, who knows the whole system, who gets to judge the right and the wrong of the entire game. He's sitting right there. And do we realize how just important it is that we have somebody like that telling us the truth the whole time? Do we realize that? Do we know how important it is to have that truth teller right there that we can listen to? Somebody whose testimony is valid? See, imagine that they're not talking about a banking failure. Imagine that they're talking about a life failure. Right? We know that facts matter, that, that truth is easy, fairly easy, and, and it matters when we're talking two plus two. We've all looked at our finances before and we've said, yeah, the money we have just doesn't add up to pay all the bills. We're a little stuck right now. We've been there. But do the facts matter and does life matter so much when we have big, hard questions to figure out? I would argue that, yeah, it does. That the truth matters even as much in those situations. Imagine a little boy. Imagine a little boy who who gets ice cream after dinner from his mom. So the little boy sits down to start eating the dinner, his ice cream, and then he says, I'm going to go outside and play. And he eats his ice cream while he's outside playing. Then he starts to imagine to himself, man, what if, what if I eat most of this ice cream? And then as I'm getting near the end of the ice cream, I smear a little bit down my shirt. And then I smear some of it on the grass. And then I go back inside and I tell my mom, I drop my ice cream and can I have another one? Because it's all sitting in a pile on the grass. Now he thinks to himself, This is a pretty good deal, right? Because I can get double the amount of ice cream this way. What a great idea. But what's wrong with that? Why shouldn't the boy do it? Well, first, of course, he, he shouldn't lie to his mom. But why shouldn't he lie to his mom? Why shouldn't he lie to his mom? Well, he's deciding, he's deciding, put it, let me put it this way, right? He's deciding that 
two ice creams are better than one. Well, says who? Okay, probably all of us would say two ice creams are better than one, right? But, but what if the little boy is lactose intolerant and he's only had enough of the whatever the stuff is so that he can have one ice cream? What if the boy is slightly diabetic or maybe he gets like sugar, bad sugar highs so that if he has two ice creams, it's going to really mess him up, right? And probably, probably even worse than that, he's deciding that he is the kind of person that can't handle having, two, having just one ice cream. So what happens the first time that he, he gets a, a fast car and he says, I can drive 90 miles an hour? He says, well, I'm kind of the kind of person that can't handle 90 miles an hour. Maybe I can't handle a, get it until I get to 100 miles an hour. Right? What if he's the kind of person who says, I can't handle life if I only have one wife. Now I need to have two wives. Do you see what I mean? He has manipulated, he has lied to himself and warped all of reality so that it shapes into a specific perspective. He's manipulating his world to be the way he wants it to be. Now that sounds pretty benign. It's just one ice cream. But it reminds us, I like how Jordan Peterson, a psychologist, he puts it this way, he points out for us. He says, the capacity of the rational mind to deceive, manipulate, scheme, trick, falsify, minimize, mislead, betray, prevaricate, deny, omit, bias, exaggerate, and obscure is so endless, so remarkable that centuries of pre-scientific thought regarded it as positively demonic. Do you hear what he says? He says, we can lie about everything. Everything, everything. And where do we come from? The devil. We need somebody in our life, somebody like Jesus, who will tell us the truth absolutely and clearly, whether we like it or not. But we can like it. We can like it. Did you hear what he said that makes sure that we like it? He opens this section and he says, I am the light of the world. Now, do you like waking up in the morning and seeing the light? Like, no, actually, I prefer to be in bed, right? I prefer to be asleep. But if you wake up in the morning and it's dark, that is so much worse, right, than if it's light. You know, in the Bible, the Bible, the Word of God is compared to many things that are very powerful and effective in your life. That's because God's word is true. It's powerful and effective. So the Bible gets compared to a hammer. Ever seen a hammer? You see what a hammer does, how it smashes things? Would you like to have your life smashed by a hammer? That wouldn't feel very good, would it? Or, you know, one of our favorite passages in the Bible to talk about God's word, it says that the the word of God is living and active, sharp like a double-edged sword. Have you ever been cut with a knife? How does that feel to you? It doesn't feel very good, does it? I don't like getting cut. I've been cut a couple times. Can you imagine what it would feel like to get cut by a sword? But when Jesus says he is the truth, he says, I'm a light. I'm a light. I'm the most beautiful thing in the world so that you can wake up in the morning and see where you're going. Light does two great things for us. It gives us life. It fills us with life every day. 
And it gives us truth. It tells us this is the way you can walk. This is the way you can go. This is what you can see. This is how things actually are. And you and I, we can be sure that we live in that light because Jesus took our darkness. On the cross, something remarkable happened, didn't it? For three hours from noon to three o'clock before Jesus died, darkness covered the whole land. I don't know if, if you've looked at the geography of Israel lately, but in case you don't know, it's not the kind of place that gets random darkness in the middle of the day. Certainly not at noon. Darkness covered over the face of the land because Jesus took the darkness of our life. That scheming and that manipulating and that lying and that deceiving and all of those lies that Peterson referenced, all of that fell on Jesus for three whole hours so that he would experience, he would take on himself what it feels like for you to stumble through the world, trying to figure out your way past the lies and the deceit and the manipulation and the cheating of everybody around you. He took all of that so that you and I could live in the light. You can walk in the light. You can walk in the truth. And you can love that truth every day because Jesus walked in darkness. You know that no matter what will happen to you, no matter how confusing and unclear your path seems to be in front of you, there is light for you because Jesus' words are true. Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you spoke true words. We live in a, in a world that is filled with all kinds of untruth, lies, deceit, manipulation, scheming, and it gets really hard to decipher, to filter through it all and figure out what is actually true and real and good. We pray today that you would speak true words to us so that we can not only hear the truth, but follow the truth, obey the truth, live in that truth. Let us live in your light. Let us walk in the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.